As we finish this series on prayer this morning, and maybe I hope that you've prayed more often over the last several weeks, if somebody were to listen to all your prayers, what would they say about your God? If someone kind of audited your prayer life or took inventory of your prayer life over the last several weeks or maybe the last several years, what would they say you value in your life? What would they say you depend on? Who would they say you believe in? Because I think our prayer lives are a window into what we're living for in this life. And this is my hope that we would all get this morning. That we would all learn to pray in a way that reveals you live for God. Pray in a way that reveals you live for God this morning. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Something, part of it, really familiar. Other part may not be familiar to you. Um, but when it comes to prayer, our hope, my hope this morning is not to just convince you to pray. I think you're in church. There's probably some, something in you that goes, oh, I probably should pray at some point, even if you may not know how. But there's people all throughout history that have prayed. Even if they don't believe in God, you kind of throw up a prayer at some point in your life, like maybe there's some something out there that can help you in the moment where we just pray. I mean, this has been seen throughout music history, but if you just think of like recent music history, lots of people have sung about prayer, right? Aretha Franklin, say a little prayer. Bon Jovi's living on a prayer, right? Garth Brooks was thankful for unanswered prayers. MC Hammer just had to pray just to make it today, right? Some of you are like, who's MC Hammer? Like, you know I was pulling that one out. Like, Justin Bieber, pray. Like All throughout like recent history, you just have song after song with people even that may not even believe in Jesus saying, prayer is valuable. So a lot of people pray, but what if a lot of people pray the wrong way? Because here's the fact. Jesus taught that there is a way to pray that honors the Lord. And he also condemned multiple ways of praying that don't honor the Lord. So this morning, how do we pray in a way that reveals that we live for God and nothing else? If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're kind of jumping in the middle of a... What a lot of people would say is known as the greatest sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. In this, Jesus has these crowds that are following him. And as the crowds are following him, eventually he sits down and his disciples, his closest followers are right next to him. And he begins to teach and instruct his disciples. And this entire Sermon on the Mount that we would call it is about Jesus saying, if you want to live a life that is all about God, that is dedicated to God and pleasing to God, then this is how you need to live. And he, gives, he goes to a variety of practical ways that you can live a life that is dedicated and pleasing to God. So let's start verse 1 of chapter 6, kind of picking up in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. It says, beware, like pay attention, watch out. So Jesus is saying, hey, there's, there's danger out there when you're doing something. What, what's he saying do? Hey, beware of practicing your righteousness. 
All right. What is, what is righteousness? We've got to get on the same page. This is our right standing with God. What makes us, when we stand before God, what makes us stand before God in a right way? Jesus. Amen. Like nothing of our own works. Nothing. We don't stand before a holy, righteous God and say, well, here's the things that I did. Here's who my parents and grandparents were. That doesn't work. Righteousness is our right standing before God. And the only way that we can be right before a holy God is by being covered by a perfect sacrifice. And that was Jesus. All right. So he says, watch out when you practice your right standing before God. What's, what's he mean by practicing your right standing before God, practicing your righteousness? We might call those like spiritual disciplines or holy habits or spiritual rhythms. Because of our right relationship with God, there are things that we do in this life to practice that. They don't earn our righteousness, but because of our righteousness, we put these things into practice. Now, is there anything wrong with practicing your righteousness? No, not at all. Is there anything wrong with practicing your righteousness before other people? Potentially. Can you practice your righteousness before other people? You can, but this is what you need to be on guard for. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. In order to be seen by them. Practicing your righteousness before other people is not forbidden here. Practicing your righteousness in front of other people to be seen by them is what Jesus is saying. Hey, watch out. Guard your heart there. And the idea here of in order to be seen is this like spectacular theatrical performance. When I think of this, I think of sports and I think of flopping, all right? Some of you like sports and you know what flopping is. Others of you are like, I don't have a clue what that is. Like in soccer and now in basketball all the time, you have people that flop, all right? So this is what this means. So you're playing soccer, all right? It's a, you know, physical sport, basketball, physical sport. Somebody like barely nudges into you. And in the NBA these days or in soccer, somebody barely nudges into you, you flail and it's like you got hit by with an atomic bomb or something. It's like, oh my goodness. And they just barely touched you. And you just put on this spectacular theatrical performance. Why? Because you wanted to get noticed by who? The referee. Because you wanted a foul called on them. And you put on this big performance so that you could be seen by other people. Jesus is saying, hey, when you practice your righteousness, don't let it look like that. Don't let it look like that. Watch out if it starts to look like that. So in verses 2 through 4, we're not going to look at this morning, but he's going to talk about how do you practice your righteousness in giving to the needy, all right? So it's a good thing to give to the needy. If somebody's in need, give. What you don't want to do is practice your giving to the needy and say, hey, look what I'm giving. Like, don't do that to be seen by other people, okay? So then he jumps down in verses 5 and 6 to talk about the practice of prayer, practicing your righteousness. So 5 and 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
Two times here he says, and when you pray. For Jesus teaching his disciples, prayer was an assumed thing. It was an expected thing. This wasn't like, oh, if you pray, but when you pray. As a follower of Jesus, you need to be in communication with your father. So it's assumed, it's expected of his disciples. So what he's going to do now is teach them how to pray when they pray. How to pray when they pray. And the first thing he does, he's going to start out in the negative. He says, don't pray like the hypocrites. When you pray, do not pray like the hypocrites. Now we get the idea of being a hypocrite, right? Somebody who says one thing and acts a different way. He said, don't pray like that. Now the idea here in this context was the an interpreter from underneath. So if you think of um, somebody back in that day in, a, in the theater, they would put a mask on, they would pretend to be somebody, but they would speak from underneath the mask. So the voice coming out was different than what you were seeing. You're a pretender. You're putting on a show. Jesus is saying, when you pray, don't, don't be a pretender. Don't put on a show. Like, if we pray in this way, it's not revealing that you're living for God. You're pretending to live for God, but that's not what your heart's really saying here when you pray. So how do we know that they're pretending? Because it says they love being seen by others. They love being seen by others. Because it says they get up on the, at the synagogues and at the street corners and they pray. Now for us, those are just public places to pray. So if we jumped on a park bench, like we leave here today and we stand up on a bench going down 3rd Street and we stand up and we start praying out loud, people aren't going to think you're some really religious people. They're going to think something way worse about you, all right? They're gonna, they've lost their mind, right? And so, or, you know, they're on something else. Okay, we'll leave it there. So they've jumped up. So we wouldn't do that. We, if we prayed in a public place like that, it wouldn't get us the same attention that they were getting. They would stand up in the synagogues and the street corners where all these religious people are mulling around. And if they can stand up and pray this really eloquent prayer, then people will look at them and say, oh my goodness, they're so godly. They must love God. Because listen to their prayers. Some of you may, like think that about people that stand on stage and go, listen to their prayers. Jesus is going, don't pray like that. Don't pray to get people's attention. And what might that look like for us? That might look like you wake up early in the morning. You're like, I'm going to spend time with the Lord today. I'm going to spend time with the Lord. I'm going to open up my Bible. I'm going to journal. I'm going to pray. I'm going to drink my coffee. And then I recognize, like, man, this looks like a great photo op, right? And so you take a picture of your Bible open with your journal and your coffee cup. And you're like, that picture didn't work. Let's take it again 16 times, right? And then you post it to social media. So somebody can look at your social media and say, ooh, they must be godly. Now, if you posted that this morning, there's no condemnation. I don't, I don't even have social media. I don't know, all right? Is it inherently wrong to post a picture of your Bible on social media? No. If your motivation is, I want other people to approve of me, then yes. If you go, man, I want to post this picture so my parents think that I'm more godly, even though I've acted a different way throughout the week. I'm off to college now. I just need to show on the weekend that I'm still godly, even though my parents have no idea what I've done throughout the week. Jesus says, don't pray like that. 
That's how a hypocrite prays. Or maybe you go, I got to post something to feel better about myself so that somebody would think I'm more godly. Maybe my connection group leader will think I'm more godly. Maybe a pastor at Veritas will think I'm more godly. Jesus is saying, avoid that. Watch out. Because it says, they've received their reward. What is the reward you receive when you pray like a hypocrite? You receive the reward of the fleeting, unsatisfying approval of people. Is that the reward you want in your life? The approval of people that is just fleeting? That you're going to have to come back to the next day or the next moment and it doesn't actually satisfy you. So, when hypocrites pray, they don't reveal that they're living for God. They reveal that they're living for other people. And this is the belief that's underneath that. The foundational belief underneath that. When a hypocrite prays is this, that God is not close so he can't satisfy God is not close, so he can't satisfy. I need somebody in closer proximity to me that approves of me. I can't get to, I can't see God. I don't really know if he approves of me, even though Christ has absolutely covered you. I can't see that, so I need somebody else in closer proximity to approve of my godliness. We need to be seen, we need to be known, we need to be impressive because we value and fear man more than we value and fear God. And the lie is that life is about you and what other people think about you. Not since Genesis chapter 1 has life ever been about you or me. It's always been about our God. Yet how often do our prayer lives reflect that life is about us and what other people think about us? It kind of plays itself out this way, maybe at your connection group. So if you're in a connection group here, you go and you guys are talking about people pleasing or you're talking about the righteousness of God and you're like, no, I don't have to please people because I'm covered in the righteousness of Christ. And you are like just sharing incredible truth. And then at the end of the night, after you've shared incredible truth, your connection group leader looks at you and said, hey, will you close us out in prayer? And you just have this freak out moment. Like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, what what if I say the wrong thing? You have literally just said, I believe that I'm covered with Christ's righteousness. And now what are you really worried about? What other people in your group think about you when you pray? That's what a hypocrite does. Jesus is saying, hey, Don't pray like that. So how should you pray? Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. Find a place that you can withdraw. It might involve you like turning off your phone, leaving your phone in the other room so that you can spend time with your father. Because prayer is about this intimate relationship with your heavenly father. He's not some distant being. Like a hypocrite would say. He's close. He says, that's where you'll find your reward. Now, what's the reward when we pray the opposite way of the hypocrite? It's the Father. The reward is that we get to talk to our God. That's a, what better reward in this life could you want than you get to talk to God Almighty and be in communion with Him. So church, let's be a church that prays in a way that reveals that God's close and that he's the only one that can satisfy. 
But Jesus doesn't stop there with how not to pray. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So the first thing was don't pray like the Gentile, or the hypocrites. Now it's don't pray like the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? They were the opposite of God's chosen people. They were the pagans during this time period. They were the people that actually didn't believe in God. In fact, they believed, many of them believed in many gods. And the reason in prayer that they would heap up empty phrases or vain repetitions or the hope that one of those gods would take notice of them, figure out what they actually need, and one of those gods would answer. Jesus is saying, please don't pray like that. Don't pray to be seen by others, but don't pray in a way where you're just heaping up endless repetition, empty phrases. You're just saying what you think God wants you to say to get his attention more. Why not? Because the Father knows what you need before you even pray. Guys, God is not going to be impressed by your eloquence. And there is not anything that you can say to God to make him go, Oh, I forgot about that. I didn't. You're right. That's what you need. I didn't realize that. Like, God is all knowing he knows the past, present, and future. Some of you are like smart going like, why do I pray then? Because it's about an intimate relationship with your father. So what does this reveal? It reveals that God needs your help so he can't be trusted. If you're going to pray like a Gentile, someone that actually doesn't believe in God, you're saying, I really need to help God with my eloquence with my words, with my repetition, my empty repetition. I need to help God. And if God needs your help, he's not God. He's not all-knowing. And he's not self-sufficient if he needs us. Jesus is saying, don't pray that way. Don't pray that way. Pray with simplicity. Pray with simplicity. Empty repetition is not okay. Heaping up empty phrases. Is repetition okay when you pray? Absolutely. You see all throughout scripture, people praying for the same things. Jordan referenced last week, Luke chapter 18, the parable of the lady who keeps coming back to the unrighteous judge over and over and over. There's repetition. It's not empty repetition, but there's repetition. So often we're told like, pray and don't lose heart. Don't give up. Keep persevering. But oftentimes, like, prayer is hard work and we just want to quit when we don't get our way the first time we pray. But pray earnestly, pray passionately. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Continue steadfastly, don't quit, like, keep going. And then in 1 Thessalonians, simply says, Pray without ceasing. Like, don't stop praying. Like, keep praying. Some of you are going, wait a second. Am I supposed to go in my room and shut the door and pray to my father? Or am I supposed to pray without ceasing? Because I can't stay inside all day, right? Which one do you do? You do both. 
It's not an either or. There are moments that you need to go and withdraw and spend time with your heavenly father. And then all throughout the day, you're praying. Does anybody know you're praying? No. You're driving down the road. You're praying for your family. You're praying for the meeting you're about to go into. You're praying for so many things. So you withdraw and spend time with your father. And then it doesn't have to stop in secret. You keep praying. Keep praying. There are lots of examples of this. One in scripture would be one of those things at the end of Colossians, we kind of skip over the greetings Paul just starts throwing out. And -and so-and-so says hi, and -and so-and-so says hi. In Colossians chapter 4, Paul writes this, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured and all the will of God, for I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. He has struggled and he has worked hard. And how has he done that? In his prayers. Like, hey, your friend Epaphras, you know him? Yeah, he loves you. And you know how much he loves you? He struggles on your behalf in prayer. He works hard on your behalf. Like, but there might be a lot of people that have struggled on your behalf in prayer for many years and you may never know it. Aren't you thankful for that? I am. Very thankful. Think of Epaphras. I think of also um, the late 17th century, early 18th century, there was a guy, a preacher named Edward Payson. He was in the Northeast and Jordan referenced a book last week called Power Through Prayer by E.M. Bounds. And in that book, Ian Bounds kind of goes through a list of people and how they prayed. And this is what he said about Edward Payson. He said, Payson wore the hardwood boards into grooves where his knees pressed so often and so long. Hardwood floors have grooves in them because this man prayed so much on his knees. Now, you can hear that, myself included, and go, I'm a terrible prayer. Like, my carpet doesn't even have a dent in it, right? Um... You might hear that, I can't live up to that. The point is like, there's repetition. It's okay that there's repetition in your prayer life. Over and over, coming to God on behalf of lost people, coming to God on behalf of your children, coming to God on behalf of what he's doing around the world. Like, keep coming back, but don't just heap up empty phrases and vain repetition. Like, keep coming back. I think of people in our own church that pray every single week for our church. There's one sitting in this room right now and he does not want me to call out his name, I know. That walks the hallways of our kids' ministry and prays for every one of your kids every single Sunday. And you might go, like, who's that guy wandering around the kids' ministry? He's the guy praying for every one of your kids. Amen. Every single week. Because he loves you. <laughs> and he repeatedly goes to God but half of your children thank you guys this is you don't have to pray like a hypocrite you don't have to pray like a Gentile you pray and say man my God is close he can satisfy me my God doesn't need my help I can trust him 
Guys, we, when we pray, we go to him earnestly and repeatedly and we struggle because God knows and he sees and we can trust that. So don't pray like a hypocrite. Don't pray like a Gentile. So how should we pray? Very familiar verses. Matthew 6, starting in verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Anybody familiar with that passage of scripture? It's not the only way to pray. Jesus prayed in a lot of other ways throughout scripture. But it's a model way to pray. If you're ever struggling, you're like, I don't know what to pray in this situation. Go back to this model way that Jesus prayed. But what was this prayer about? This prayer was all about God. From the beginning. How do our prayers often start? God, I need this. God, help me. God, give me. Is that how Jesus just prayed? No. Our Father in heaven. Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. This is all about God. This is an intimate relationship that Jesus had with his father. His father that was loving and kind and present and always attentive and never annoyed and gracious and always kept his word and completely wise and never failing. That's his father. That's your heavenly father that you can go to. A hypocrite doesn't see their father that way. A Gentile doesn't see the father that way. They don't even believe But someone who follows Jesus says, my heavenly father is good. And I want to talk to him. I want to commune with him. Our father, this intimate relationship, hallowed be your name. May your name be sanctified and set apart and holy. That's the idea here. Father, I want to honor your name and revere your name and treasure and value and love you. We recognize the greatness of God in prayer. That's where our prayer lives should start. Recognizing how amazing our God is. You don't have to be eloquent in that. You don't have to know all, every attribute about God. But don't be flippant when you just go in prayer either. You may got a middle schooler in the room. All right. Uh, I asked my middle schooler if I could say this and now my elementary school is doing the same thing. But... um, Anybody ever, as a middle school parent, been called bruh before? <laughs> bruh, 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 right? Like, it just comes in nonstop, right? Like, and eventually I have to say, like, hey, I'm not your bruh, I'm your dad. <laughs> like, I'm your father. And we laugh about it, and we can joke about it. But, like, we don't come to God, who is holy and righteous, and say, what up, dude? What up, bruh? Like, He is holy, he is God, he is sovereign, he's omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's all those things. So we don't just, we don't have to be eloquent in our prayer life. But let's not be flippant about coming to our holy God either. But that's where our prayer lives start. You want to know how to pray? Like this is Jesus teaching how he actually prayed. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Then verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whose kingdom come? God's. Is it about your kingdom? 
No, this is about his plans and his purposes. Hallowed be your name. And Lord, I want your plans and your purposes that are perfect in heaven. I want them to become how this earth is. How life is on this earth. I want your kingdom purposes to come here. So when we pray, it's about the Father. It's about his plans. It's about his purposes. In verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. It's about his provision. We're not praying like, God, give me a surplus of things in life. God, give me what I need today. It's a reminder of like the Israelites in the Exodus. They're wandering around. They want food and God gives them daily bread. It wasn't good for tomorrow. It was good for that day. And we need to come to the Lord saying, give me what I need today. To help me fulfill your plans and purposes. To help me hallow your name. Verse 12. And forgive us our debts. Who's the forgiver? God. As we also have forgiven our debtors. So our forgiveness toward other people. Really overflows out of his forgiveness to us. So we confess our sins in prayer. And then we don't just stay in our sin and shame. We are thankful for the blood of Jesus that gives us forgiveness. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, when I get in a situation, help me not to run to evil. Help me to run to you. Deliver me from this evil. Help me not to fall into that temptation. But it's about his deliverance. When we pray, we go to him saying, God, it's about you. It's about your plans and purposes. It's about your forgiveness. It's about your deliverance. It's about your provision. So what are the requests or the things that Jesus actually prayed about? Purposes, provision, forgiven, deliverance. If you don't have those things in life, you cannot hallow the name of Jesus in this world. And that's what life's about. Glorifying him. Because how we pray is less about our words and more about our worship. How we pray is less about the words that we say and more about the heart posture that we say those words with. Yet our, when we think about, like, oh, what do I say? How do I pray to God? Like We often think about, am I going to say the wrong thing? I want you to just start thinking about your Savior and King when you pray. Your words may not be eloquent, but they can still be exalting to God. But the problem is that Jesus' model of prayer has become our modern day prayer for the hypocrites and Gentiles. When we think of the model way to pray, the Lord's Prayer, like, who often is saying that prayer? A lot of people who are hypocritical. A lot of people who don't believe in Jesus. Football season just started. How many teams are praying the Lord's Prayer before they start? Our Father, who art in heaven, then it ends up sounding like animals grunting. Like, like, right? What are you doing? Like, this is, what is going on here? Like, don't let your, like, prayer life just reveal, like, I'm just going through the motions saying the repetitive thing. Can you pray the Lord's Prayer before a football game? Sure, I hope so. But don't let it just be this repetitive thing and you don't even know what you're saying. That's how a Gentile prays. Or maybe it's, 
I've lived my life throughout the whole week how I wanted to live it. And now I'm going to pray this prayer to get what I want. I want to win in the game. That sounds like a hypocrite. You live life for you all week and then on game day you decide, I want to live for God. And that's what my prayer life is going to reveal. Guys, Jesus' model of prayer revealed a belief in the Father. His dependence upon the Father. It said, God, I believe you're ultimate. I believe you're supreme. I can't do life without you. I'm fully dependent on you. So how should we pray in this life, guys? Pray in a way that reveals you live for God. You don't live for other people. You don't live for yourself because God is real. God is supreme. God is trustworthy. God is self-sustaining. God is all-knowing. And you believe that and you need him every single day. Because the key to practicing your righteousness in prayer is recognizing where your righteousness comes from. The way you pray is not the source of your righteousness. The way you pray is a result of where your righteousness comes from. Our righteousness does not come from our impressive words. Our righteousness does not come from our discipline to get up early and pray for a long time. Our righteousness comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. But because you have that righteousness, let's start being people who practice praying Not like the hypocrites, not like the Gentiles, but like Jesus. Paul would say it this way in Philippians chapter 3. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Everything. The approval of people, what I want in this life, I'm going to count it all loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, an intimate relationship with Jesus, and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or comes from praying correctly, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings. Because we lose the desire for approval of others. We lose the desire to live for ourselves when we pray, thinking, thinking, Oh, this is about Jesus. This is all about Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. My hope, guys, is that when we leave here today, we don't leave just going, I want to be a better prayer. My hope is that we all leave more in love with a beautiful Savior that causes us to go, I don't know who else I would want to talk to. I get to talk to a, a loving Father. I get to talk to my creator who knows everything. I want to pray. Not because you have to, but you get to talk to your father. Because that's the kind of church we want to be. So really practical to finish up. What does this look like? What could this look like for you? Find a place. Find a time. And find a tool that you can use. All right, Find a place. Find a time and find a tool that you can use. Find a place away from everybody. Find a tool. Again, I can't like my or, uh, time. My best time is probably not praying at 7 o'clock in the morning because that's right when four kids wake up at my house. 
it's, it's going to be chaos for a little while, okay? Some of you with kids, you know that. Like, we're trying to rush out the door. Probably not going to be a great prayer time for me. I'm going to have to get up earlier. You don't have to get up earlier. You can do that throughout the day. But just find a time where you can withdraw from the world, withdraw from distractions. So find a place that you can do that. Find a time that you can do that. And then choose a tool. There's a lot of tools. We've mentioned this one before. Acts, the Acts model of prayer. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. All right? It's beginning our prayers in that order, adoring God. God, you are. That's a great way to start your prayers. God, you are. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Then confession, when we recognize how holy and right our God is, we quickly are humbled and say, man, I'm not holy. This is where I've failed. This is where I've sinned. Lord, I recognize that and I confess those to you. And then you still don't jump into, I need this, I need this, I need this. It's, man, I'm just thankful, Lord. I'm thankful for your forgiveness. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for a job. I'm thankful that I had food today. I'm thankful for shelter. And there's just, I mean, you could do that all day for the next rest of your life, really, right? So many blessings. And then finally, you get supplication where you're going to God. And you're saying, God, I'm, I'm begging you on behalf of this person. Change his heart. I'm begging you, like, help this situation. But it doesn't start there. We often flip this upside down. So just start that, that way. Guys, we want to be a church full of people who pray this way. And here's the crazy thing. We may not ever see that happening because they're all doing it in secret. And you know what? We're totally okay with that. We don't have to be an eloquent church. I mean, that's obvious, right? Like We're, we're not the most eloquent church. We just want to be a Christ-exalting church. We're not going to be, we say to all our new staff members when we come, hey, you're joining a staff of a bunch of non-impressive people. We're not impressive people. We have a really impressive God that we want you to love. My hope is that we're not a church that just grabs headlines because of the cool things we're doing. We're a church that's faithful in prayer when nobody else sees it. That's the kind of church we want to be. So what we're going to do this morning, a little bit different, we're going to pray through this Acts model really quickly to just see how this can function. It's not going to be long. You can't pray about everything in this time that I'm going to give you. But I would just encourage you to bow your heads right now. And I'm going to guide you through this. The band's going to come up and play in the background as well. Like, let's just start right now adoring God. Start with God, you are blank. Acknowledge who God is. Now take a moment to confess your sin before Him. And 
now take a moment and thank him for all the blessings, especially his forgiveness of those sins through Jesus. one thing that you can plead and beg the Lord for this morning.